Thank you for tuning in to Lockdown Universe today, guys. Please listen to a quick message from one of our sponsors, and we'll get right into the podcast. Thank you. What up, what up, what up? Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well. Hey, I just want to let you know, I know everybody can't always support and donate uh, to the podcast, but hey, if you can do a one-time donation, I put up a Buy Me a Coffee uh, link in this description of the podcast. So if you go to the description of the podcast, it'll be at the bottom, and you can just uh, go to that link and buy me a cup of coffee, or two if you want. And uh, that would just help support the show, and uh, I can... I can wake up a little bit more and bring you more info. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If you can donate, that would be much appreciated. And let's get on to the show. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible, because we're already doing it, all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome back to Lockdown Universe, home of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO legend and lore. And today we are going to discuss the infantry whistleblower. So this man is a whistleblower and he is willing to give us some information. However, he's not willing to give us uh, which branch he worked with. He doesn't want to give specifics because uh, he's afraid that, you know, there'll be reprisals and he signed non-disclosure agreements and that kind of thing. So he gives us a, an overall view of what happened at a crashed ship event. So the story goes is that he, this man was trained uh, about 10 years ago. He's in his uh, mid to late 30s now, and he this occurred in his 20s. This was about a decade ago, and he was trained uh, in the upper northwest. He, he wouldn't report where it was at, uh, but he reported it was the upper northwest um, in a very remote location, not close to anywhere, uh, you know, any suburbs or anything like that. My guess is one of the islands maybe out there where they could easily mask, you know, what's going on. Um, he reported that the building looked very similar to the one, if you ever saw, uh, walking dead in season three, they had, they had taken up, um, camp in this prison and the prison had like double wires. Like you imagine any prison, you can imagine this has, um, the, the two wire fences, right? So you can walk in between the two. Um, and it's just kind of like a big gray prison looking building. Now he reports that he was shipped to this location to begin his uh, extra training on top of his boot camp and AT training. Um, This was extra schooling that he was going to do for his particular mission during crash ship retrievals. So he describes this this, uh, building as being um, like the building you would see in like uh, the old NASA um, 
you know, rooms, monitoring rooms where like in Apollo 11 or Apollo 13, the movie, right? You see um, these guys in white shirts, black ties, looking up at these big monitors uh, on the on the wall. And then they're looking at their small monitors. That's exactly what he said he had to walk through every day to get to his uh, training location. So it's really interesting because he reports, like many other whistleblowers reported, that these guys that are working on these monitors, are, they're uh, seeing what uh, ships are coming and going uh, in the atmosphere and, um, and what ships are coming and going um, here closer to the ground, um, that these guys are from other countries, you know, as well as America, but they're from other countries. What are they doing in America, right? I mean, and we, we've heard this many times. Like, we've heard this down at the Kennedy Space Center. Um, we've heard reports of people working together uh, from other countries, kind of like a NATO type thing, right, where, you know, it's multiple countries working together, um, the United Nations type thing. Um, back on my first podcast, I talked about Mr. Wade Gant, who was a Marine. He, he did the exact same thing. He had to work on a base where uh, down in Peru it was – government from all over the place from u.s from china from brazil from peru from canada everywhere france england um so he had i mean he could clearly see their their designations their flags on their uniform and see who's working there so anyway um he could see this every day so he gets his training and works on um linguistics as well as um how to disable um IT infrastructure on a ship. Once they're done with retrieving the information, what they would do is they would dismantle it. They would put thermite on it and basically melt it to the ground so that they, no one could get the information. Basically, it would be, be metal melted onto the ground, ideally, right, is what they would want. In addition to his training, he found out that they were going to use um, uh, I, the... Um, the Magnetic pulses, IMP, um, EMP, sorry, electric magnetic pulses uh, device to send an electro, electromagnetic pulse to disable these uh, crafts um, so that the basically you'd fry the information as well. So um, if the thermite didn't get it, which it should, but if there, for some reason the thermite melted through some part of it and there was still part that was left, then the EMP would just wipe everything out. So it was really interesting how to learn about how these guys destroy information as well as retrieve it. Part of the other half of his job was to retrieve the information from these crash ships. Now, he wasn't just trained on picking up information from alien ships. He was trained on picking up information from uh, crashed uh, enemy ships, uh, crashed U.S. ships as well. Um, so, but he said this one in particular was pretty bizarre. Um, he was shipped out to a remote location, not in the U.S., um, and that this location in particular, this mission, uh, which we're going to get into, was a location where there would be hostiles, that they knew they would have about 12 hours on site to retrieve the information, to detonate the aircraft, and to get the heck out of there. Now, what's really interesting is in a lot of historical crash retrievals, we hear about or we've seen or we see video, quote-unquote, of uh, these helicopters, right? The big Chinooks picking up 
these huge saucers and then bringing them to wherever. And we've, we've got lots and lots of uh, witnesses to these events. Now, in this particular case, in this remote location where there were hostiles, um, it may be that they didn't want to pick up the ship because it was a hostile territory and they knew they might get shot down or shot at if they flew in a, um, an aircraft. So what they did is they used Navy ships to go under the guise of night and then once they got close enough to the coastline, they couldn't actually pull up to the coastline. They'd send these Navy SEAL type guys, but I'm going to call them infantry guys, but they're kind of like Navy SEALs um, according to this whistleblower. And uh, they used what are called ribs which are basically like inflatable boats, um, kind of like the ones you'd see in the movies where, where the Navy SEALs are, you know, navigating these rough waters and they're in, the, uh, in these big inflatable boats. So they used two of those. They had eight men, eight infantry-type guys, and then they had eight scientists that brought along each individual gear appropriate for their mission to get to this crash site. Now, this crash site was about two days away, so they had to walk through the jungle or whatever it was um, and then camp and then walk again to the crash site where they'd have 12 hours to do what they needed to do and get out and then another two-day hike back to the ribs, back to their boat, and then get back to safety. So <clears throat> what was really interesting was he stated that there was a storm coming and that um, they only had five days total to get this thing done. So they work their way down. They got the eight scientists. They're working their way down, and they get to this crash site. And they see that there's, that this crash ship had a tear in it. It didn't look like it had been hit by a missile. It looked like there was a tear in it, and they couldn't figure out what would cause a tear, but they could figure out that this is exactly what brought it down anyway. Now, the next part is where it gets really interesting. What they see is is that this craft has different squared panels on it, and it was the outside of the layer of the ship was like a checkerboard, and it had layers of different uh, tiles on it, and uh, he reports that half of the tiles, every other tile, was extremely cold, colder than it should have been during that time. Um, and the other half were of normal temperature. So it's really interesting, right? And the ship has obviously been there for a few days because it took them a few days to get there. Um, at least that's what we're led to believe. You know, I mean, who knows? The government could actually be able to, to fortune tell through some of their technology technology is to be able to see into the future and see where these crafts are going to crash and be able to be there very shortly after, you know, the individuals have either died, the individual teams that were flying those crafts have died, or, you know, they'd be disabled enough to where we could take care of them. Well, once they got into the ship, there was no crew. Nobody was there. Where did the bodies go of the crew that flew this aircraft? It's very bizarre, right? Uh, one other point about the aircraft was the wings weren't standard, right? They said that this craft was the size of a 747, but that the wings were tipped back like uh, how like um, the shuttle-type um, aircraft are to where they're, they're, they're very close towards the back. So, like, when you think about the shuttles, right, they're, like, in the back 15%, and they're very small. So 
as opposed to being in the, in the front middle where it would more resemble like a bird and have typical flight patterns, typical aerodynamics, and that kind of thing. So there were some strange things about this ship, and, and reportedly uh, this whistleblower states that he has seen many different aircraft, and he's never seen an aircraft that looked like this before. So they get inside, and he stated that it looked not too different um, from standard aircraft that he's seen. Um, he stated that some of the, you know, some of the positioning and some of the knobs might have been a little bit different, but other than that, he stated that it was very similar to some of the aircraft internals he's seen. The external was the really weird part of it. So he thought he might be looking at like a spy plane, maybe, or or it could have been an alien craft. He was he was unsure, uh, but he wasn't willing to jump to that conclusion necessarily. But once he got onto the monitors to start scrubbing the data, to, to gain the data, to take it back home and scrutinize and analyze later, what he found out was he's looking at this screen and it has a language he's never seen before. Now keep in mind, he was trained in linguistics. So what does that say? It says that he's never seen this language before. He's trained in ling linguistics. He stated he knew over, he could recognize at least over 70 languages and he's never seen this language before. Now, what's really interesting is he's looking, he has like this, this guidebook to refer to for linguistics. So he's looking through this guidebook, trying to figure out what's going on when one of the scientists who was performing another operation in another part of the ship comes over and he said, hey man, what's going on? What are you looking at? And he looks at the screen and he turns pale white. He grabs onto our whistleblower's shoulder or he grabs onto his book, I'm sorry, he grabbed onto the book he was looking at, he said, you can stop looking at that book. Now, our whistleblower saying, I'm still looking through the book trying to find out what language this is, what are you talking about? And the scientist says, you're not going to find it in there. And he's pale as a, you know, pale as a ghost, right? And he's starting to kind of sweat a little bit at this point. And our whistleblower says, well, you know, how do you know? And he said, he looked at it and he says, that's Enochian from the time of Enoch, biblical times, right? And so he's confused. He's like, well, I've never heard of that before. You know, how do you know? And he reports that it's a demon language, that it's a, it's a demon, spiritual, possibly even angelic language that it has never been seen in current times. But this, these scientists that they sent out, they're very knowledgeable and they're, they're very aware of what they're going into. And a lot of times they're more aware of what they're getting into than the infantry people, right? It's a lot of this stuff is on a need to know basis and these guys don't really need to know. So they get in there and they start doing their, their research and they're given certain information about the mission. So did this scientist break protocol to give him that information? We don't know, but we do know that he was scared out of his mind. And he told our whistleblower, he said, do what you have to do and let's get the hell out of here as fast as we can. And that was straightforward. Um, and our whistleblower knew this guy and he said he didn't mess around. He was, he was scared, you know, and he was one of these top of the line, you know, super brains of our country that, 
knows what he's doing. He knows what he's looking for. And these guys are at the top of their list, right? When they graduate, you know, these guys are graduating from Harvard, graduated from MIT, Yale, Stanford. These guys know what they're looking for. And he stated that that was, that language was Enochian. And he stated that it was, it was possibly evil, demonic, and that they needed to get the hell out of there. So, my question to that is, could that language have been used as a screen or, you know, a scrambler for the real information that was on the device? Could it have been like an encrypted language that they used? Or was this some other ship from another dimension? These are the questions that we don't know, you know, we don't have an answer to. But it's interesting to think about. Now, the reason I bring up possibly a ship from another dimension is they didn't have an answer for the tear in the ship. They didn't have an answer for how it was brought down. And they didn't have an answer for the language that was on the screen. Now, after they left this location, after they melted the ship, they, um, they used the EMP and they got out of there, the two-day hike was where it got strange as well, where... During their first night of camping, he was awoken by his brother-in-arms who was, you know, awake for, um, for watch duty. Our whistleblower was asleep. He wakes up to be <laughs> woken to uh, his buddy telling him, hey, we have hostiles. We have, uh, we have you know, uh, enemies, you know, coming towards our camp. Uh, they used more military language than that. I'm not in the military, but um, he, that was what he told. Uh, that's what he said. Kind of kept it layman's terms for us. Um, and what they saw was they, they couldn't see anything. It was dark, so they had to put on these FLIR cameras. Now, what the FLIR is is infrared cameras that you can use in the dark that you can see. Now, what he saw when he put on these FLIR goggles was about 20 creatures that were about 500 yards from them. And what they had was yellow orangish reflections where their eyes would be. Now, he thought initially that he was looking at individuals who also had goggles on. But what he realized was, was that goggles usually typically reflect green. And when, they, when he looked a little bit closer through his goggles and adjusted them, he found out that these were the eyes of these creatures, that they weren't goggles at all. These were the eyes of these creatures, and these creatures were almost 100% black. He stated when you see, th see individuals through their heat temperature on the infrared, you're going to see a white silhouette of an individual. You're not going to see black. These guys were all black, primarily, uh, and that he could only see basically a, a black silhouette as they moved and that their, their eyes were glowing orange-yellow and that they were coming towards their camp. So... They had to get the heck out of there, and so they split up because they didn't want to be ambushed. They split up um, in segments and within earshot, but they split up in segments and moved uh, one infantry men for one scientist, and they moved out, and they were they had some distance between them. Uh, and the first crew, they had about four individuals in the front, started having gunshots and these guys are you know a good ways away but they can hear the gunshots and our whistleblowers in the back looking around seeing what the hell's going on i don't see anything 
and the front crew just takes off towards the beach. His crew stays back and tries to wait out to see what happens so that they can they can protect who they're protecting. They get up to the beach after the gunshots stop. They don't see anybody. They see the boat one of the boats gone towards their ship and that one of their boats is still there. No bodies, no evidence of a fight except for a scurrying in the sand. They get back to their boat, and this is where it gets really bizarre, and it kind of finishes up here, because what happens is when he, when his crew, our whistleblower's crew, gets back to the boat, assuming that the other crew is going to be there, they get there, and the other crew is there, luckily. But they're briefed on their mission, okay? They're briefed on their mission once they get back. And you would think this would be a briefing like, okay, this is how it went down. You're going to give me a report, da-da-da-da-da. What ends up happening is he gets back, and there's this time dilation that ended up happening because his lieutenant comes in and states, you guys are on 24-hour watch, standby. We're on standby because we're waiting for a crew that's looking after a downed ship to come back and they haven't come back and we've lost radio contact with them and this is where it got real bizarre because our whistleblower said you want us to go look for ourselves because we already came back the lieutenant looked really confused and couldn't figure out what he's talking about but so our our guy goes to sleep our whistleblower goes to sleep and he wakes up and it seems as though Everything had righted itself, that the time dilation had righted itself, and there still was no answer yet to this alien problem that they saw. They saw alien creatures out there, and he, still to this day, he talks to some of the guys that he, were, he was on this mission with. They still don't know what they saw out there. They still don't understand the time dilation problem because it wasn't just he who reported it. It was other people who reported it stating that their lieutenant was giving them mission orders to go find themselves out in the bush. Um, and also, there were some other bizarre instances of high strangeness that occurred. Our whistleblower reported that throughout the time on the ship, over the next couple days, he would walk in to see uh, the whole crew frozen in time while the boat was moving up and down in high seas. He stated that this is physically impossible. You're going to rock back and forth with the boat. You're going to be talking. You're going to be doing something. He walked into a room, and these guys were absolutely still. These guys weren't moving. They weren't talking. They weren't moving their eyes. They didn't even look like they were breathing. Um, and he reports other instances of high strangeness that occurred, but uh, these were the really important ones. So he doesn't know to this very day what happened. He, his voice sounds so, so concerned for this instance that he, he's been trying to figure this situation out for over a decade. What happened to him? Did he experience time dilation? Did he see what he really saw? <clears throat> what does the Enochian language really mean? Because he never got briefed on it, other than meeting with the scientists, you know, in the ship talking about it. Um, did this ship actually come from a different dimension and they blew it out of the sky? And then we're trying to grab the information from another dimension. Um, that's 
that's one of the real big possibilities here because you know if if there is some sort of you know demonic language or alien language right because sometimes demons and aliens can be you know you know mixed back and forth or confused for one another um it could be an alien language that that was from another dimension and maybe that's what the Enoch language really is it's it's a language from another dimension that we haven't seen on earth anyway or it merely could be from another planet so what do you think what happened here why were all these instances of high strangeness going on in a military operation was he part of a psyop that happened on the boat was he part of uh, some time dilation put on him by aliens in the field uh, was this merely just a ship of ours that had different a different language on it that he had never seen before and a ship that he had never seen before um, that's possible right given the fact that it had crashed and the US government wasn't trying to go in and, and grab it although if the air, area was hostile they probably wouldn't go in there they would probably try to protect themselves and if they didn't need that ship they could just melt it so what do you think there's lots of possibilities with this one it's it's a real head scratcher but anyway thanks for uh coming with me on this trip uh, exploring this story uh as we continue to explore stories in our universe uh, hopefully hopefully you guys are staying safe uh taking care of your loved ones taking care of yourself taking care of your mental health uh, as well as uh, people around you i want you to focus on your hobbies man focus on your dreams because uh you know these days are very interesting times that we're living in uh and continue to question the universe around you till next time lockdown universe out